Hey everybody, welcome to TCP Talks with Jonathan Baker and Justin Broadley from The Cloud Pod. In this series, we're bringing you interviews with the best and brightest leaders and heroes from the tech and cloud industry. Jonathan, I'm pleased to uh, introduce you to our guest, Anthony Lai. Anthony, would you take a couple of minutes to introduce yourself? Yes, thanks very much, Justin. Jonathan, great to meet you. Uh, I'm Anthony Lai. I uh, lead NetApp's public cloud services business, a business uh, we really started uh, when I joined the company five years ago. I'm old, so uh, have been in tech my entire career. I date myself all the way back to sort of mainframes and mini computers, but have been fortunate enough to be involved in a lot of sort of interesting technology shifts, uh, Unix, you know, workstations all the way through Windows and browsers and, of course, you know, SaaS as an application construct and all things public cloud. It's really been just a, a wonderful kind of business to be in, right? I mean, it's been disrupted and the opportunities it's created have been more than anything else, really, um, in, in any industry, in any geography. So uh, it's great to meet you both. Yeah, we've uh, you know, I met you for a couple of events for NetApp, which have been great, and you know, I've been following along, you know, your five-year journey, which, uh, you know, even in my experience with NetApp, and and you know, I've dealt with NetApp products for you know, twenty, twenty-five years of my career, and you know, had bad days and good days, but mostly good, <laughs> which is always great. You know, if you'd asked me earlier on in the cloud journey, you know, what would happen to you know all these hardware vendors like NetApp, I would have assumed you know it would be sort of be kind of one of these has-beens of the tech industry. And I, you know, from your leadership and things, you know, starting in 2019 with a partnership with Azure, uh, you know, following up with GCP, it's, it's been a it's been an interesting journey seeing you guys really embrace the cloud, and really, you know, not only from a you know let's just take our appliance to the cloud, which you know a lot of hardware vendors are trying to do now, but also going cloud native. How have you approached this this journey, and how have you thought about this as you kind of approach the strategy? I'll share a funny story. When I was first called by a recruiter for for the job. I think my response was, you've got the wrong person, and aren't they dead yet? Uh, you know, I'm an application person, and us application people, we're not too fond of infrastructure people uh, because they tend to slow us down a little bit. Um, I always remember, you know, when I was at Siebel Systems, we would go and talk to customers about the benefits of customer relationship management only to be impeded by the IT guys who, who told us they were an IBM shop. And we'd sort of put our head in our hands and have to figure out whether we wanted Siebel to run on AIX and DB2 and WebSphere and Lotus Notes and all the different patch levels and versions. It's a nightmare. I, I came to NetApp really, you know, uh, because, you know, George Kurian, I think, is a very, very capable person. I worked for his twin brother. Uh, I worked for Thomas at Oracle and now George. I think I've worked for the Kurians for over 10 years and um, I think George wanted someone that wasn't from storage and infrastructure, someone that could take a very different perspective on, on infrastructure. And the perspective he wanted was from the application. Um, and so, you know, George really let me kind of reimagine it. I think the other thing that, that the company did and allowed me to do was make the storage in the cloud as good as it was on-premise. Everybody else was like, no, we're going to keep our specialty on-premise. 
and we'll give the cloud a little bit. But, you know, the clouds are bad things, right? They're going to kill us. And NetApp, I think, to its credit, leaned in and said, ah, well, if it's going to kill us, we may as well give it a try. And, and if someone's going to kill us, why shouldn't it be us on a cloud? So I think there was there was sort of many things that sort of helped, I think, not having a deep storage background because I think public clouds, more than anything else, have democratized innovation and expanded the buying community. Uh, I think uh, reimagining ONTAP as a sort of a truly elastic cloud service, uh, then I think, you know, going and really showing the public clouds a better together story um, and then, you know, convincing them to embed us was, uh, I think, a lot of hard work, fair amount of luck probably. Uh, but, you know, I think sometimes you make your own luck. So the business is doing great. It's doing really, really well. I couldn't be more excited about what we've achieved. I've really had a good time at NetApp. It's been great. You know, we've done 10 acquisitions. Uh, now, you know, as of the last quarter, you know, our, our annual recurring revenues uh, came in at $469 million. Uh, when I started, it was less than 500 k So uh, it's been a pretty, pretty rapid growth. I think the company has expanded in the cloud beyond storage. Uh, I think that's also been a tremendous, I think, differentiator for us. And you were saying, Justin, you had uh, Amaram, uh, the CEO and founder of Spot, on the podcast the week that we acquired them. I think that that sort of shook uh, a few people up as to why NetApp was getting into compute. I sort of want to be a platform, really, for, for applications to run safely and efficiently on public clouds. And I think there's a there's a big opportunity to sort of be, you know, maybe a, an application-centric kind of VMware 2.0. Were you ever concerned that NetApp moving to cloud and, and building sort of these migration tools would ultimately lead to losing customers? But you build the tools to let people move from on-prem NetApp appliances to, to cloud. It seems, it seems like one step further to, to using the cloud-native services. So, yes, but I figured, I, I, my belief is sort of simply put, if you don't do it, they're going to hate you more. It's much better, I think, to be open. Uh, I think it's much better to sort of to, to, to give your customers options than not. I think the other thing is you've just got to work really hard these days to keep customers. And what that really means is it's, it's not just a great product. It's exceptional service, almost, you know, obsessive. Uh, we chose to go into the cloud really as pure as a cloud service as we could, fully elastic, fully consumable. Uh, and customers, you know, basically don't really even have to have an agreement. They can just sign in with their credit card through the AWS marketplace or use us natively in the consoles. And, you know, honestly, I have to earn their business every minute of every day. And um, people will pay you for that and people will stick around. So, you know, no, I think it was a concern, obviously, because I think the, the lens from which NetApp saw the cloud back then was, oh, my God, it's competitive. And I think we, by going there and really leaning in there, we've demonstrated that we can actually build a market-leading service that has very broad appeal. That's a great philosophy. It's a great philosophy. And I, I think it's what a lot of the legacy vendors don't understand is that the cooperation and building 
solutions together with the cloud is so much more powerful for the companies buying the solution that that's where the value is. And if you can be the partner that's there, yeah, maybe the cloud provider has something a little cheaper, but they're giving up all this other great value than this partnership that you built out. And I think that's where NetApp's really figured out the right model to this problem. <laughs> and I think that's, you know, a lot of the other cloud provider, you know, non-cloud providers in the hardware space should be thinking, how do I do more of what NetApp's doing? You're so far ahead of them now. They're all they're all in dire straits, I think. <laughs> but uh... <laughs> I appreciate that. I was going to say, Justin, one of the things, you know, George and I were talking the other day, and in five years, you know, running the cloud and building this cloud business, you know, I've never seen an RFP, and and I've never actually been compared to HP or EMC or Pure, any of those guys, because they're not there. I'm compared more often than not to like S3 or EBS as as an alternative sort of you know, storage uh, service. And that's just been great. You know, it's sort of, people talk about us now as a cloud native storage product. They don't, they don't ever think now that it's sort of something we lifted and shifted because we didn't. We really, really reimagined and engineered it to be like any other sort of cloud service. I, even in the beginning, I, I had some doubts. I mean, I, I was there. I saw the pitch. You gave it to me. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yeah, you know, but you don't you don't have the ASICs. You don't have the ARM processors. You don't have all the secret sauce that makes the NetApp, you know, all the caching layer and all that. And, and you know, I, again, why, why I think it's been so successful is it's just you've proven that, you know, yeah, those things are great for hardware, but you don't need them in the cloud. And I can actually give you more with the cloud than you would have gotten otherwise. Uh, and so, yeah, it, it's a good, a good journey and a good story. I think running it as a service, you know, Justin, running it as a service was the big thing. I mean, I remember telling George, you know, I want storage to feel like Salesforce.com. I just want to log into it, and I want to consume as much or as little of it as I want, and I want to tell the storage service how fast to run, and I want the storage service to kind of keep me out of trouble, right? So, you know, us lazy application people, of which I am one, we, we sort of just want things to work, And we don't want to know how they work. We just kind of want them to work. So, like, you know, you ask an application person, are you backing up your application? Most of us would be like, "Uh, I don't know. Are we? So the nice thing was we sort of, I said to George, we've got to run it. We can't just let people do it themselves. We have to take responsibility for the service level agreement, the service level objective. We really have to make this thing like, super super simple and 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 that was a big thing i remember george saying well you know what happens if we go down and i remember saying to him if like when like it's gonna happen we may as well get used to it and we may as well try and figure it out but you build in the cloud this as a service model and the benefits that we get and then the benefits that the customers get are so significant and it's just great. It's great to run something. It's amazing how much effort you put into into productizing the runtime when you have to do it yourself as opposed to the old days where you just threw software over a wall to a customer and told them to figure it out. Yeah, the, the comment you made about running it as a service is so critical to so many things we're doing in IT, especially as we go into cloud, right? And, and we talk a lot about cloud native and cloud ops and DevOps and, and those different areas, but 
you know, at the end of the day, it's all about how do I deliver a service to the business? And there's so many companies that struggle with this transition from, well, I'm a traditional product. I'm building a SaaS product. I'm like, yeah, but no, no, you're building a SaaS service. <laughs> and it's so much different. And, you know, you have to worry about so much more now in these services. And, uh, and so to see a hardware vendor, you know, make that pivot, you know, tells me that anybody can do this. It just takes the right mentality and the right mindset, which is super valuable. And so, you know, it's great to see. Um, you know, great poster child examples of, you know, what does it mean to run IT as a service and what does that yeah. mean and getting out of traditional ITIL models that uh, don't scale at the end of yeah. the day. I mean, you've got to disrupt yourself. Uh, I think you've got to sort of come at it, you know, from a very different perspective. It's hard. You know, people don't really, most people don't really like change. They'd like to know that tomorrow will be like yesterday. And... What, what makes this industry so good, the tech industry, is how often it's disrupted. The frequency of, of disruption in tech is just amazing. I mean, the disruptions that, that I've seen, mainframes to mini computers, you know, closed operating systems to Unix, um, desktops, browsers, you know, platforms, databases. I mean... They, there's been so much innovation and and disruption in this industry. Um, you know, I remember when you know I left university and I told my friends I was going to go and work for a software company. When all of my other friends who did engineering went to become accountants and lawyers and bankers, and then the few that did engineering went to work for like Rolls Royce and British Aerospace and like Shell and BP. And, oh, God, how lucky was I? I mean, this industry has been just awesome. I mean, now every company is a software company, right? I mean, everybody. It's It's been really, really fun. Yeah. So we talked a little bit about uh, your acquisition of Spot and, and uh, Amaram. And, you know, but you've done some other acquisitions recently, Cloud Checker, Cloud Hawk, yeah. uh, others that are out there. You know, as you see this evolution that NetApp's going through and, you know, you've, you've sort of solved part of the storage problem, you're continuing to innovate there. Now you're bringing in some more of these kind of security, cost management type tooling. You know, and you mentioned that's a part of a platform play. Can you expand a little bit about what you're thinking and how you and NetApp's thinking about that strategy? Yeah. So, you know, from, from my perspective, I think you can sort of – the cloud has sort of two halves. There's a sort of an IT half – and then there's like an app dev half. And what I mean by that is like Amazon really, really was created, you know, it launched in 2006 as a platform for application people. And, and it was so well loved by application people because they didn't really get along well with the IT people. And Amazon just sort of assumed the IT position through a very elegant service with a very simple API. And so for application people, it was like liberty. We were like, yay, I can just go build whatever I want. I, because when you were building applications in the enterprise, you had to write this ridiculous business case to try and get your app above the sort of the cut line. So you had to overpromise its contribution and oversell it. And even if you got it above the line, you had to wait for like months upon months, maybe to the new fiscal year, to get budget and then even within the fiscal year once budget was approved the it people had to go and like run rfis and rfps build your stack the sort of physical then put the os on the virtualization tier 
the database, the platform. And it was like months and months and months until you could actually start coding. So by the time you started coding, your idea was probably out of date. Uh, and once you started coding, you were still months and months away from releasing anything. So the cloud was like, oh, my God, credit card, start now. And I'm only going to pay for what I use so I can scale my my cogs, my bill of materials, exactly in line with my revenues. So, so when I joined NetApp, obviously NetApp's appeal would be on the sort of the half of the cloud that appealed to the IT people. And the IT people, I think, see two very, very big opportunities for the public cloud. One is extending data centers. They're not going to get rid of all of them, but they're going to get rid of some. And so they see the cloud now as a, as a DR target, disaster recovery target. They see it as a backup target. They like the sort of the elastic properties for things like dev test and bursting. But they're thinking in that sort of traditional IT infrastructure horizontal plane. The other side of the cloud, which I just talked about, the application kind of developer side of the cloud, they, they think – whole stack they think sort of up and down and as and application people can now basically build and run their own stacks they don't have to wait for the it people and i wanted to build something for them i didn't want to just hang out on the it side and so i went and asked a whole bunch of application people you know what do you need and what they said was you know uh i love the cloud and cloud is really the platform for digital transformation. And every day I release stuff continuously, right? I'm, I'm all into this CICD gig. My boss wakes up every day, checks his iPhone, did a competitor issue an update. If they did, how quickly can we get one? And it's like it's all hands on deck, right? We're just releasing every single day. And I said, oh. And he said, but there's two things that kind of worry me about the cloud, and I said, what's that? And he's like, well, when you go fast, right, there's like, you know, think about driving down a, a, like a road. There's like ditches on either side, and you've got to kind of stay out the ditches. And he was like, on one side, of, there's this like cost ditch. Like I, I, I go fast, and my guys pick all their infrastructure. They're just not very good at it. So, you know, to an app dev person, if you're given a choice between fast, faster, and fastest – we as app people are like, what were the first two things? Why, why did they put those up? We're going fastest. And, and so – and the application architectures on cloud are so much bigger now than they – on-prem, you like, here's a database and a file system. Build your app. My apps now have six or seven different databases. And so, you know, the cost of all of that can get out of control very, very quickly. And as an app dev team, you don't want your CFO calling you and telling you he's going to shut you down because you're overspending. So cost was a real problem that, that everybody had. Um, the second is they basically say, you know, we as application people are coding everything. We're coding the application logic. We're coding the infrastructure logic. And they, the application teams were like, I don't really know if my application configuration is secure. Like, we're moving so fast that if someone miscodes, you know, an S3 bucket uh, or exposes a particular service, we don't really know. 
we, we, we can't really tell. And so they said the other ditch is this risk, this security risk that comes from the configuration. And so I sort of said, oh, okay, I'm going to try and solve those problems. And this is sort of where DevOps, the construct of CICD, became FinOps and SecOps. And I basically, you know, said I want to be in that space. And so I want to build a platform that really allows people to, to sort of tool themselves up for speed, execute very, very quickly, but use me uh, an API, a runtime API, to keep them within budget and out of jail. That's, that's interesting because I, I know you're talking about your customers and potential customers, but you must have also gone on that kind of cloud transformation journey internally at NetApp yep. as part of this, um, this strategy as well. So can you talk a little bit about what that transformation looked like and uh, the challenges that you may have had along the way? Look, I think uh, probably the biggest challenge, I think, with all transformation is people. Human beings sort of, you know, resist it, right? It's just a, it's just a very common thing, right? I mean, uh, I, I, there's so many examples of sort of this happening, you know. What did Henry Ford say way back when, right? If he asked everybody what they wanted, they'd all want a faster horse, right? <laughs> because I think the context is where you are. And people like to think that the world is, is, operates through evolution. And sometimes it's revolution, right? Sometimes you have to do something radically different. And, and what happens, you know, it's sort of innovator's dilemma, right? The, the existing people, when change affects them, they dismiss it. They don't like it. So they sort of, they put it in a box. And then they put that box somewhere in their sort of market. And they feel good about it. And so, you know, at NetApp, you know, there were times, you know, I used to say to George, we have to raise the pirate flag. And we just have to sort of be kind of bold internally and tell everybody that it's, that it's, that it's going to be different. Um, I think we, we were sort of fortunate in so many ways that everybody that sort of started to work on the cloud, they just loved the environment so much the speed the agility the sort of the flexibility like like you know just versioning software i mean it's just terrible right if you if you have like on-premise software with 10 different versions you got to patch stuff you got to support stuff customers don't really know how to run it very well you know that was a problem for all of us apps people in the cloud there's only kind of well there's two versions the one that's running and the one you're building. And so, you know, I think, I think people started to see that, that NetApp could, could not only run in the cloud, but we could thrive in the cloud. And we could show public clouds that we could go fast. So, so you know, the transformation was, was, was more than, than just people and product. Everything about the cloud is different. The way you build, the way you sell, the way you support – and so, you know, NetApp has been through, you know, a significant amount of that and I think come out incredibly well the other side. You know, Justin, you mentioned the competition. They haven't even started. And my God, they're going to have a hellish time <laughs> if they can even do it. Uh, it's not easy. And, and first mover advantage is, 
is a very, very big, I think, uh, advantage for us. Well, I mean, they, they have started. They just they just put cloud on the front of their products, right? Exactly. So, you know, that, that was their – we're now a cloud company, folks. Uh, yeah, you know, there's a lot of a lot of cloud washing happening in the space. You know, we see it everywhere. Um, you know, and you really have to start start digging into the technology and saying, are you really cloud? Are you I really know. making this I pivot? Know. It's crazy. Well, so, you know, obviously, yeah, you know, I meet with industry analysts. And I've been doing so now at NetApp for five years and – Pretty much every every sort of three or six months when I meet with them, in five years they've been like, "Well, you know, the other guys are doing it now, and the other guys are coming." And every every next time I'm like, "Where are they? I don't see them. Can can you show me what they're doing? Because they're just not really doing it." Look, I think everybody on prem has probably figured out how to throw a storage operating system in a VM, but that's not what people want. That is absolutely not what people want in the cloud. Now, us getting in the consoles of, of Azure and uh, GCP and then last September AWS, uh, it, it's just magical. I tell you, it's hard, really, really hard. Uh, and I don't think that they're going to sort of do it with everybody else because they don't need to. They've got a service and it runs well. And so I think that's sort of, you know, a barrier that, that, I think will be very, very hard for anybody else to catch. But, you know, when we were presenting to, to Azure, I know the other storage companies were calling saying, hey, hey, we can do it better than NetApp. And I remember some folks at Microsoft saying, what, what, what is it you think NetApp's doing? And they were like, we're selling you boxes. We can sell you boxes cheaper than they can. And Microsoft was like, yeah, no, they're not really doing that. <laughs> and so they just they just assumed that that we were taking sort of legacy to cloud, and that was the complete opposite of what we were doing. The the problem, you know, and NetApp, you know, rightfully did the right thing. And you were talking about your revenues, you know, in Q three. I looked up before the show, you know, one hundred ten million in cloud revenue uh, in Q three, up you know fifty five from fifty five million the year before. So one hundred percent growth in cloud revenue in one year. But you know, it, it's still, you know relatively small compared to the rest of that business, which is $846 million. Yeah. But, you know, I assume there's some point in the, in a long-term forecast where you're like, you know, eventually cloud revenue should surpass hardware revenue. Um, and so that, that's a long-term game. And, you know, the, the hardware vendors like HPE and some of the others, I think they look at that $846 million, they're like, well, we can't give that up. Like, we, know, we can't disrupt ourselves. We can't do that. And, and that's the mistake I think they're making. Well, so I think two things. I think... The first thing is sort of recurring revenues are the best kind of revenues you can get, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, I start every new year from the day before and start adding. Of course, I have to manage churn, but it's not like selling capital equipment where you start at zero. So the first thing is, is, you know, recurring revenue, I would say, is the gift that keeps on giving. The other thing about recurring revenue is it actually takes a while to get to get to inflect up fast. So if you looked at like Salesforce.com versus Siebel, it took Salesforce much, much longer to hit a billion dollars than it took Siebel. It took Salesforce about the same amount of time as Siebel to hit two billion. It took Salesforce less than two years to hit three billion. And Siebel never made it to three billion. 
So, so recurring revenue has this sort of slow ramp, but then it really starts to inflect. And so I think what you're starting to see in, in our numbers, you know, we did 469 million of annualized recurring revenue up 90 something percent. You know, we told Wall Street on just on uh, Tuesday, I remember my dates now, on Tuesday that NetApp had upped its target. We told Wall Street we would be a billion dollars in recurring revenue within our fiscal year 25. On Tuesday, we told everybody that we were going to be $2 billion in recurring revenue by the end of fiscal year 26. So, you know, that really starts to make a difference, right? The compounding of recurring revenue is, is a beautiful thing. Uh, and you can see, you know, another great stat, right? I, I was at Oracle. So Oracle was founded in 1977. AWS was released in the fall of 2006, almost 30 years later. This quarter, I predict Amazon Web Services will be twice the size of Oracle, twice the size. And, and Oracle's business is growing 1% to 2%. Amazon's business at twice the size is growing 40%. So, so recurring revenues are something that, again, Justin, to your point, people – because they're different, they sort of ignore them. They don't like them. And before they know it, they're, they're years behind and caught and passed as if they're standing still. So we feel really good about our recurring revenue, and we feel really good that it's going to be an enormous business for NetApp. That, that's a, that's amazing prediction for growth. Yeah, it works out a 50% compound annual growth rate for the next uh, three and a half, almost four years. Yeah, we, we often look at you know the magic quadrant and another industry anal analysis of uh, cloud growth, and we, we have to laugh because some of them are obviously skewed in their favour of Oracle or Azure, and it's all Azure adoption exceeds Amazon's. I'm like, yeah, but percentage-wise, maybe, but in, t in terms of dollars, it's it's uh, it's completely different. I wanted to ask you a little bit. Um, we've we've talked to some other people who've partnered with 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 Amazon to deliver services like SAP, and there were historically challenges or performance issues which made the cloud unsuitable to deploy that type of application in did you have to wait as long as you did to, to partner with aws or gcp <laughs> in order to you know sort of have a, a product that could be successful uh i mean i think you know clouds were sort of built you know in what we call a scale out architecture and Traditional IT was sort of built out in a scale-up architecture. So, you know, an application like SAP was sort of engineered to sort of have as much power as it could at the three tiers, the back end, the business logic, and the presentation tier. And the public clouds just never really purchased big sort of machines, Right. I think SAP, you know, was sort of re-engineered around HANA the same time Oracle was doing Exadata, which was even more of a scale-up uh, technology. So, so big scale-up apps don't like scale-out architectures. We, we have now really helped solve that problem. Net shared storage, low-latency, high-throughput storage is actually a, probably the, a bigger contributor to an application's performance than compute. And so people like SAP 
certified SAP on NetApp on-premise, on ONTAP, and now they can get the same ONTAP with the same characteristics in a public cloud. So we facilitated, I think Microsoft often says NetApp or Azure NetApp files uh, migrates the unmigratable, uh, which I like a lot. Look, I think that the honest answer to your question about, you know, we did Microsoft, then we did Google, then we did Amazon. I think in the cloud, you have to show how good you are before before you get to really take on some of these mega relationships that we had. And we had to show Amazon that we were, we were sort of good enough to be in the cloud, that we were fast enough uh, and we could prove to Amazon that we could release at cloud speed and operate and run a cloud business. And honestly, you kind of have to beat them a few times. Um, and we did that. And, uh, you know, we did something with Microsoft no one's ever done. We did something with Google no one's ever done. And now we've done something with Microsoft, with Amazon that no one's ever done. So we've got like these three industry firsts. And um, it, it was probably more about just just us proving ourselves time and time again and pestering them time and time again and proving to them time and time again that we were a credible partner for a very sort of core and fundamental service. Yeah, I imagine they nobody takes it lightly to, to put a partner's name right there in their console for everyone to see. Well, you haven't done it, right? So, you know, may, they do it with open source, but that's not really like us. They sort of Maybe, I mean, VMware isn't really like us. VMware is like a walled garden, right? VMC is like a part of Amazon. We're like in Amazon. Um, and they sell it and they support it. It's really, you couldn't get more integrated uh, than us. And I don't think there is another equivalent, actually, in the AWS console. I mean, yeah, they do some work with Databricks, but that's really Spark. Mm-hmm. They do some stuff, but I, I think we're still quite unique in all three clouds as being a true sort of integrated first party. Yeah, the only one I can think of um, is Grafana Labs, but uh, you know that's they're a little bit more embedded. But that, but even there, it, it's like the open source is the basis of that platform, and then yeah. you know the enterprise is an add-on you bolt on top of that. But you know, it, it was interesting. Um, you know, being a fan of Spot, and when we talked to Amaram, you know the the challenge that Spot has from a click ops perspective is you're not in, con- in the same console, so you have this kind of split brain problem between I'm in the Spot console or I'm in the AWS console and I'm doing my work, um, and that becomes a bit of a friction point. It, it goes away when you're doing IAC and, and infrastructure as code like you should be, um, but a lot of companies start out click ops, and we just know that is kind of the nature of the beast. Um, but yeah, getting the, being able to get into the console, which you could do with Google. Google has a more part of their partnership model. You know, being third mover to the space, they they designed for yeah. that model. Um, but yeah, to get the NetApp product into that model, it's almost you know, again, thinking about like, well, where's NetApp going to be in five years? Five years ago, I would be like, yeah, they're never going to get into the console. That's like that's like <laughs> that's, right. that's a white whale. You're never going to harpoon that whale. You know, Amazon just doesn't get it, and you did it. So it's 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 really impressive and. Um, you know, I, I was curious, you know, as you look at these three offerings, are they really the same software at the end of the day, or are they distinctly different because of the idiosyncrasies of each of these clouds? It's all on tap. Uh, we don't make any code changes to on tap at all. Um, 
what I think the clouds do well is it's sort of what they do with it uh, and how it's expressed, right, and how it's cross-connected to other services that, that sort of make it different. But, you know, I think, I think look, Microsoft took a, an approach – uh, to really provide a very high-end, high-performing shared storage service that actually blends our hardware as well as our software. Uh, I think Amazon, you know, took more of a software-only um, model. So the nice thing is sort of ONTAP is sort of at the core of the business. Uh, we only have one storage operating system, unlike some of the other guys that have like three or four. So it was pretty easy for us to sort of to point it at a public cloud. Um, I think, you know, on tap is sort of, you know, it's turns out like file systems are really hard and I didn't really know that I just took them for granted. And on tap really has sort of proven itself over 30 years nearly to be that good. I think, uh, the public clouds, I think like to say on tap and they like to say NetApp. Because they could have just said, oh, just hide it. We'll just call it a file system. But they didn't. They wanted to bring out the ONTAP name because it gave, I think, the customers a lot more confidence that, that enterprise applications could move. So that was nice. But but the core software that we serve to Microsoft, Google, and Amazon is the same. The implementation and the integrations are, of course, slightly different given all the other services that each of the clouds provide. So there's sort of uniqueness in, in the in the way in which it's integrated, but it's the same core on tap that that served uh, to customers. I couldn't afford to do it differently, you know. <laughs> the, the rule of the rule of sort of SaaS, or you know, is you can you know I, the other Henry Ford thing, right? You can have it in any color you want as long as it's black. So you know, when people say, "Can you can you change on tap?" We're like, "Absolutely not." <laughs> it's like this is how it is and this is how it works and we're going to run it for you as a service and you're going to love it. And, and that we've managed to sort of hold that line, which makes, you know, developer productivity so much higher, release cadence so much faster. Um, you were saying earlier on, right, SaaS. I always used to say, you know, it's the second S that's important, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's not the software anymore, it's the service. You, know, you mentioned uh, you know it's it's on tap all the way across all the clouds, and you have this integration layer that's where the unique sauce kind of comes into play. When I I see you know people I talk to talk about multi cloud and really going into the strategy, they talk a lot about vendor lock in and and the fear they have of this vendor lock in and price increases and and all these mostly you know hypothetical scenarios that don't happen unless you're on the Google Cloud. That's a different conversation. Uh, <laughs> that is a problem, but uh, you know. If you're thinking about your business and you're thinking about it from a multi-cloud perspective and you want to be multi-cloud, you know, and you think about your architecture, like what is, you know, if you were to give someone a tip about this, like how do you think about that from a software architecture perspective? Because, I, I, you know, lock-in has value and the platform as a service has value, but if you run away from that, you slow yourself down. And it's, it's kind of a mix of both. Well, so, you know, let me start by saying I think multi-cloud is not an architecture. I think multi-cloud is a consequence of probably procurement. I, honestly, I, I don't know anybody that sort of wakes up on a Monday and decides to move their application from one cloud to another. People don't do that. 
I think people want the larger enterprises naturally want to have a multi-cloud uh, strategy, but again, that's more considered workload by workload, application by application. So, you know, I think people are multi-cloud, but, but as I said, I think that's more a purchasing strategy than, a, than, a, than an application architecture. Um, I think right now, honestly, you know, this, this sort of digital transformation thing, like, got, got sped up by the pandemic like crazy, right? Like, there's six and a half million applications now in the app stores, six and a half million of them. And um, I think everybody sort of has been forced to sort of to figure out digital between themselves and their customers, themselves and their partners, themselves and their employees, right? The pandemic kind of pushed us all out and, and sort of put physical on the back burner. So companies that were sort of born digital had a huge advantage. Companies that were born physical had to add digital. So I think, I think the pressure of sort of competing for the customer, the partner, the employee over digital, I still think that, that you're going to take as much from a cloud as you can. And, and I, cause if you start to abstract away, you know, your app's going to be pretty crap, right? It's not, not going to do much. Um, and so you look at all these platform services that, that Microsoft has and Google has and Amazon has, and you just can't avoid them. You just can't. If you want to build a killer app, you know, you've got to use their stuff. And I think, you know, you've just got to realize that, you know, you, you're, you're all in for this particular app. Now, I can help companies go all in because I'm going to take care of the cost optimization and bring the cogs down to as low as I possibly can, and I'm going to keep them out of jail, right? And so I, I, I hope that I actually facilitate more use of a cloud. I, I'm not in the business of, of cloud arbitrage, honestly. I don't think it exists. Once you Maybe in procurement, but not, not in app dev. And so, you know, I, I like to say, you know, our strategy is more cloud, less cost, and um, so I don't yet see a sort of a, what some vendors are say like invisible cloud. I don't get that because what are you going to do? Like, yeah. how can you not it, it, use SageMaker in AWS? How ooh, can you not use right. like Dataproc or BigQuery in Google? How can you not use the wonderful yeah. services? They're so good. They're just so good. You'd be crazy not to use them. And, and if you don't, of course, you, you have the lowest common denominator across all the clouds, which is basically compute and, exactly. and box storage, which is what we came from in the first place. Exactly. And you can't really build a sexy app, right? With, with like a storage and compute. Yeah, you mentioned earlier, you know, it used to be database uh, app tier and, and display tier through web. And yeah. exactly what people are doing when they're trying to commoditize cloud like that. They're just trying to turn it back into those three really broad building blocks, which are expensive to maintain. So it's, yeah, I mean, yeah. my apps, as I said, my apps, you know, my, my Cloud Insights team uses relational databases, non-relational databases, time series databases, graph databases, hierarchical databases. And, and it makes for a kick-ass experience. It's just great. Now, you know, you've got to be careful, right? Because your bills can go like haywire. 
and your configurations can sort of be put at risk. But, um, you know, we, we, we embrace the whole thing. So when we run a service like a backup service for, for uh, Azure NetApp Files, we use Azure services. We use Azure's object storage and we use Azure's like indexing engine. When we do the same backup service on Google Amazon, we use the Google services. So we have to do three implementations around the common core, but it's so much better for the customers. If we tried to build one abstraction, we'd probably have to throw it into a customer's VM and wish them the best of luck. And that's not a service. That's not what people want. You have to be great. And I think using as much of the public cloud as you can, yeah, it, it probably does mean a little bit of lock-in. But but if if innovation drives your business, your top line, then you've got to innovate, right? As I said earlier, like everyone's a software company now. And if you're not good at it, you're, you're in real trouble, real trouble. You mentioned, um, you know, cost and, and security and the configuration management uh, a, a couple of times. Is... Is that the reason NetApp has made the acquisitions it has? You know, a Spartan cloud checker. Is that so that you can you can help drive adoption of your own products in the cloud by making those other things easier for customers? For sure. So you know, look. I mean, organically, you know, we got OnTap storage service, fantastic. We've made acquisitions around OnTap. We bought a company called Cognigo that basically helps us do sort of compliance. So we call it Cloud Data Sense now, and it will actually look at ONTAP and tell you what's in these files, what's in structured systems like databases. It uses machine learning to tell you whether there's like PII, PCI, credit card, sexual orientation references, all those kinds of things. So people like that because it's like an easy button. We bought a company called Talon that has this really fast caching, and so we customers who use on tap in the cloud can click on a caching button and immediately sort of uh, create shared caches across, you know, remote offices, branch offices between cloud to cloud. So we bought some stuff to really help with sort of the storage business. We bought green cloud uh, to sort of wrap on tap and run it as a service. So we've done a ton of acquisitions there. Now, when we got spot, uh, we really sort of loved it, honestly. Um, I, I was using it and it was so good. It's like, remember that Razor company? You like it so much you bought the company. It's kind of what happened. And and, I, and in Amarama, I see, you know, such a talent. Um, and the team are so good that I just wanted to go all in with them. And I said, let's get big really fast. Like, what do we need to get big really fast? And so systematically, we've gone out and acquired intellectual property that helps further spot so you know we uh, spotted just closed on a small acquisition called strat cloud that that became eco right the the reserved instance or reservation optimization we bought cloudhawk and cloudhawk is the basis of spot security for sort of configuration management we bought data mechanics super cool company uh in france that came out of the databricks some of the early databricks engineers started and that's, that's a really good optimization of Apache Spark. We bought, you know, CloudJumper that sort of optimizes virtual desktop infrastructures. 
And then we sort of we saw a big opportunity to double down on all things FinOps and SecOps and bring CloudChecker into the business. And CloudChecker helps us in so many different areas. You know, it adds a ton of sort of billing analytics to to the platform we didn't really have. It brings a whole bunch of security and compliance services that we didn't really have that make like spot security so much better. And then the other thing that Spot, Spot was really good at sort of engaging with the app teams, with the IT teams. What we found was that increasingly Spot was so good, there weren't enough skilled people in the customer to actually do it. And so we started to see this sort of growth and emergence of a new kind of partner, uh, not a reseller, but what we call a managed service provider. And they were sort of starting to sort of have the skills and aggregate customers, cloud spend, and, and provide services to sort of cost optimize and secure. And so we were like, oh, we have to go, you know, get them to sell spot. And and what they said was, we don't really resell. We, we, we build stuff ourselves. And we've been using this thing called Cloud Checker to build our own MSP, managed service provider business. And so they give us – we went and got CloudChecker because they had great IP and they'd figured out the partner. They'd figured out how to partner with global systems integrators and managed service providers. You know, we just bought Filament, uh, and I love it. When, when we're in accounts with Spot, certainly the enterprise accounts, people say, you know, how do I integrate Spot to this? Or I want Spot to do something that it sort of doesn't do – fully and I wanted to do these extra things. So we, we, we sort of had, uh, I think, challenges with integration, challenges with extensibility. And, and people were saying, look, I'm using Spot and I'm writing all these sort of code artifacts. Where am I going to put them? Like, where do, where do I ha- hang them off the sort of the platform? And we were like, I don't know. We don't do that. And so we wanted to get sort of an automation platform, an extensibility platform, and an integration platform. And Filament was just cool, man. I mean, these guys are so good. But they, they were small enough that they, we could get them, get them fast, and then just replatform their IP. And so Filament isn't just an integration platform. It's low code. It's really, really elegant. It's really cool. And, you know, we're, gonna, we're calling that now Spot Connect. So that's going to be coming out really, really soon. And, and the feedback from the customers to give them this layer of integration, automation, and extensibility has just been amazing. So we're not stopping. We're going to keep going. As I said, I think, I think we, we really believe that, that CICD as a construct is still really in sort of what Jeffrey Moore would call the early adopters, and Jeffrey Moore has this thing called a chasm where you cross and then everybody starts to do it. And I think everybody is going to have to do CICD, everybody. So what's going to happen is it's going to go from like best of breed to best of suite because big companies won't want to have 500 tools and they won't want to let everybody pick their own. They'll want standardization and they'll want platform. And so I'm really, I'm really building a platform and so if I can acquire and integrate and replatform, I'll do that as often as I possibly can. Got it. You know, thinking about this acquisition and it being sort of 
in this cloud automation space and also incident management, uh, does this also you know start making you wonder about observability as a strategy and you know thinking about log management being a big consumer of data storage? Yeah, you know, there's there's a lot of really interesting uh, synergies there as well. Well, so you know, I've got Cloud Insights, which is mm-hmm. doing really well. Cloud Insights and API, which you know about it. It was actually an acquisition NetApp did about 12 years ago, a company called Anaro. And Anaro became on-command insight, an on-premise infrastructure monitoring platform. And what was really good about it was it was heterogeneous, but it had this sort of metadata modeling engine that sort of knew how infrastructure was put together for an application. So you didn't have to like try and figure out which VM and then what was attached to the VM, it did it all for you. And so when I joined five years ago, uh, George gave me you know, the OCI team, and I was like, guys, let's like rebuild it all in the cloud. And they were like, what? And I was like, yeah, yeah, let's go. Let's, let's, like, let's just keep sustaining, managing OCI, but let's just like go, go really build Cloud Insights, the cloud version, multi-tenant, you know, pay as you go, you know, consumption. And uh, we did it and we went out really hard and fast. And so while we're not, we're not a data dog that sits higher in the stack, we're not an app D we have a really nice niche where we're doing infrastructure monitoring and we're doing log management and AI of the infrastructure. And they're actually not really competitive. They're quite complementary. Again, the competition down at the Cloud Insights level is, you know, a VMware, uh, their capabilities. It's, um, you know, a SolarWinds, you know, that that's where we are. So actually, you know, you're going to see a more and more integration between Cloud Insights and Spot uh, coming up here very, very shortly. Well, that sounds great. I look forward to seeing that and, you know, head to up with Amaram again here in the future as those things launch. Um, you know, as we kind of wrap up here, you know, what, what emerging technologies excite you in the cloud space? What are you, you know, what is you know, making you think really hard about strategy these days? You know, I think everybody sort of now, I think, considers AI to be a fundamental part of an application architecture. I, I don't think anybody would start building an application now without really thinking through machine learning, artificial intelligence, natural language processing, those, those, those technologies have become so affordable, right? I mean, I mean, this is what these clouds do. They, they can buy so much and share it with everybody and and charge for it in a way that, that allows everybody to sort of, to use it. So there's a lot of really cool stuff that, that, you know, we're doing with AI for AI. You know, our Apache Spark service is really cool. Internally now, all of the teams are really building, you know, models, machine learning into the very core of the application. You know, I'm, I'm a big fan of sort of moving up the stack. You know, uh, I love PaaS uh, because I don't have to understand IaaS. And uh, I think what you're, what you're going to see is sort of if you think about the evolution of the cloud, SaaS came first, right? Salesforce came well before Amazon. And then Amazon did IaaS. And so you've got this huge SaaS growth, this growing IaaS. And PaaS kind of struggled for a little bit to find its feet. 
because the SaaS vendors had already built the app, and so they weren't really interested in pairs. And the IaaS guys were able to, to sort of translate value more simply to the IT people. But PaaS is where it's going to be. You know, everything as a service, everything abstracted higher and higher and higher in the stack. So, for example, you know, we, we built something called Spot PC, right? We, we wanted to build a VDI optimization service. And we went out and we went, met with a whole bunch of people who were deploying Citrix and VMware Horizon and Azure Virtual Desktops. And we were like, how's it going? They're like, it's awful. It's awful. So complicated. So expensive. This is a nightmare. And we were like, great, great, great. We'll give you a tool and you can actually optimize all of your own tools. And everyone was like, yeah, why, why don't you just do it? Like, I don't want to do it. You, you do it for me. We were like, no, no, we'll give you the optimization tools. Here's some cool APIs. They were like, I don't want to do that. And so Spot PC became a fully managed, continuously optimized service. So kind of like we run it and we optimize it and customers just come and say, I need 10 desktops. And we give them one simple price and we are the optimizers as opposed to giving them the tool and they become the optimizers. The Apache Spark service is exactly the same thing. People are like, yeah, I don't really want to run it. Like, it's hard. Like, you guys, can't you guys run it? And I'll just load my, like, Jupyter network, notebooks in, and, and you'll just give me an Apache Spark endpoint, and I'll just consume it. So PaaS is really, really interesting. And then, of course, the other thing is I think, you know, we're on the verge of, of – certainly low code if not no code and my god you know the whole world can start building applications it's gonna be crazy like there'll be 60 million apps in the app store but you know i would say ai pairs and uh i think low code or no code those are sort of really cool things that that continue to sort of democratize to abstract complexity away and when you do that, you sort of you, your audience size becomes orders of magnitude bigger, right? And I love that idea that sort of everybody can build an app and everybody can sort of consume AI. And these public clouds are so good, right? I mean, can you imagine like trying to build your own sort of AI platform in, in a data center? My God, you'd be like, oh, it'd be so expensive. <laughs> It would take years to get the yeah. the, uh, the GPUs to be the worst part. Because <laughs> of the so, so those are the three things I, I really love. Um, I think those things are going to have a profound impact. And it'll be hard to stop these guys. You know, Amazon, Azure, and Google uh, are doing things the world, you know, never done before. And they're, they're certainly doing well. Yeah. It's nice to be with them, I can tell you. I'd rather – I like being with them than against them, that's for sure. Yeah, I think you're in the right place. You'd, you, I wouldn't want to be competing with them head to head. You know, I we we sort of watch Oracle a little bit on the main show just to keep an eye on what they're doing, and I'm just like, you guys are so far behind. I know. Yeah, and even Google in many ways is is very behind in, in platform. You know, just talk about platform and the and the power that brings you. Um, and you know, they're 
third mover. They made a really great choices because they you know they learned from Azure and, and AWS. But it's like you know, I was talking to my rep, I'm like, you guys have got to get onto the pass bandwagon. Like, I don't want to manage Kafka. I don't want to manage these things. Like, you're doing a great job with Kubernetes and Anthros, and you're making that easy for me. But I have all this other stuff I want you to take off my plate. So, <laughs> hey, Justin, uh, what, what do you tell what do you tell the HP rep? <laughs> like, where are they? What happened to them? I don't know. I haven't talked to one. Yeah, they had nothing. Or they, yeah. uh, they have, they they keep trying to you know re re uh, bring OpenStack back to the reality, and I just keep telling them no. So that's, <laughs> that's why I see that that had its day, didn't it? But um, it did. You know, look, I mean, I don't know what an EMC rep can do for a customer, honestly. Besides a a tech refresh, you know, they just you know you you got you got to put the customer in the middle of your business, and you you got to go where they want you to go. Uh, if you don't, you know, you, your your hold may last a while, but it won't last. And um, I, I still can't believe that what we did, we got away with, uh, and we've got so much time to build so aggressively. Um, it's great. You know, I love it. You know, we have, we have conversations with people who don't know what NetApp means. You know, I was at the Google Cloud event. We had a booth, and some of these like kids, like app dev guys, were like, "What's NetApp?" And I was like, "Oh, you know, storage in the cloud." And they were like, "No, no, what does NetApp mean?" And I said, "What do you think it means?" And they were like, "NetApp, network application." And I was like, "Maybe." And they were like, "Internet application." <laughs> and I said, "Network appliance." And they were like, "What?" What's an appliance? And I said, well, it's a box. And they were like, like a PC? Like a washing machine. <laughs> it's like, yeah. And it's honestly, you know, they, they, they don't comprehend, nor should they, the complexities of infrastructure. And, and I love that. I really love the fact that we've been able to democratize ONTAP. Because it's cool. But you got to be really smart to really get the best out of it. And, and so we just decided we would be the smart ones and we would provide it kind of like dial tone. It's just there. And, and that was sort of really – it's really cool to see people who've never had on-premise consume your product and, and get value from it. Well, thank you for joining us today. It's been great. Thank you for the insights. And uh, I'm sure I learned a lot. I know Jonathan did as well. And uh, – you know, love to have you on again in the future to talk more. Yeah, thank you both very much for the opportunity. It's great to talk to you. Visit thecloudpod.net to subscribe to the show, join our Slack channel, or sign up for our weekly newsletter. You can also find information on reaching our audience through a CloudPod sponsorship opportunity. A big thank you to today's guest, and thank you for listening.